Hey friends, we're starting off today talking about something heavy. On January 10th, a young man in Memphis, Tennessee called Tyre Nichols was murdered as a result of racialized violence in the hands of police officers. So many people in my community, including myself, felt just ravaged with grief, outrage, fury against the crime. And there were discussions inside the coach training program that I'm co-teaching with Melissa Tears about how to use the tools that we are learning, how to use coaching tools in the context of a violently oppressive world, and how to use the tools that we have to work towards liberation and abolition. I do not claim to have the whole answer. However, I did have some thoughts to share about some fundamental assumptions behind coaching historically that, in my opinion, direly, direly need to be critically examined and reimagined. Some unspoken biases, implicit paradigms that have traditionally ruled the coaching world, which are now outdated and feel damn near irrelevant at a time when there's such a stark awareness among us, right, of large swaths of our society who are literally not safe to exist as themselves. We have to think about coaching in new ways. Otherwise, we risk being completely fucking irrelevant. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I have some questions. I have some suggestions. So I organized some thoughts and sort of did a spontaneous live in the Facebook community that we have. And these are words that I, I, you know, realized I really wanted to share with the rest of the world, with you. So I decided to take the audio clip of the live I did and publish it as a podcast this week. So, because I really wanted to share these with you. I hope you find them useful to think about. And although you're going to hear me referencing our coaching program and my co-teacher, Melissa Tears, because that's the context in which I'm giving this this talk. But please know that the following views are mine and mine alone. All right, my friends, have a listen. I want to share some thoughts on how to make coaching make sense, how to re-envision coaching so that it is a relevant and helpful force in the world. I want to say in times like these where fucked up things happen in the world, but actually that's always, there's no times like it's, it's always, it's always fucked up things happen in the world all the time. And how to be in the world as coaches when the world is like this. I use the word re-envision on purpose. I certainly can't speak for everybody, but I know that at least for lots of us who are gathered here in BFCC, it's because we see the need to talk about coaching, define coaching, practice coaching in ways that are different from what has been normalized and what has been explicitly and implicitly what has been the default orientation and the assumptions and the philosophical frameworks that undergird coaching. We see the need for change. We see the need for re-envisioning. And that's what we're here to do. We have to hold a different vision of it in our minds before we can go do different things. A lot of BFC, well, actually all of BFCC was created on the basis of, basis of a lot of these discussions between me and Melissa. 
I want to talk about biases that coaching as a field has had historically, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, actually a lot more implicitly than explicitly, and how we can upturn some of those assumptions so that coaching is more relevant and actually helpful in times like this. I thought of five things, five historical assumptions, prejudices that the field of coaching has had that we need to re-envision. And I want to talk about them one by one and how each of these applies so that we can make better decisions. We can make more responsible decisions so that we can use our tools to help at least avoid harm, which a lot of coaching has been causing harm. So our goal is at the very least harm reduction. And if we're being ambitious, actually being part of undoing some of the fucked up things in the world. So the field of coaching has historically privileged improvement over witnessing. So when we look at something, coaching is always asked, how do we improve it? How do we make it better? Which are perfectly good questions. But on the other side of trying to improve something is witnessing something as it is, as it unfolds explicitly without the attempt, without the force to have to improve it. So I want to make sure to say, it's not that I'm against what coaching has traditionally privilege, like improving is a great thing, except when it's not, right? And so we have to use discernment. So in this context that I'm talking about it, to me, the alternative to improvement is witnessing something. So for example, I'm so sorry, I don't remember exactly who, but someone posted saying in the group, how do we use the tools we're learning for the sake of abolition, right? How do we respond to what's happening right now? And when we think about how to respond, a lot of our mind goes to how do we make things better? How do we improve it? Right. But like I said, improvement helps except when it doesn't. A lot of times the response that's called for in terms of our humanity is to witness what is happening. So if a devastating tragedy happened, a lot of the times what is helpful, what is good is to be with the grief and sadness of those who have been affected. Being with, making space for those emotions and those painful experiences is not improving on them. In fact, trying to improve what they're feeling would actually be harmful and toxic. So for example, in the context of what's happening now, what do we do? What we do is to put down the urge to improve anything, at least for a time being, and be willing to witness, to be willing to bear witness to the grief, the rage, the powerlessness, the fury, the heartbreak, all of it. All I mean by witnessing is creating space where those things can exist and take up as much space as they want and resisting the urge to want to do something about it. Coaching as a field has largely always privileged improving over witnessing, and that needs to be re-envisioned. Sometimes it's time to witness, and it's very uncomfortable for those of us who want to spring to action and want to spring to improving things. And trust me, I know I'm speaking as somebody who always has to work with that impulse. Sometimes the solution is sit down and witness. Now, the second assumption that's traditional in coaching that I want to upturn is the emphasis on assertiveness over humility. Assertiveness, once again, is a great thing. 
except in context when it's not, right? Assertiveness is let me get out there. Let me take charge. Let me do this thing. That's great, except in some contexts, what is required is humility. Humility means maybe it's not time for me to speak up right now. Maybe it is not time for me to take charge right now. I know, like when you listen to me say that, when you consider these ideas, a lot of it goes, it just goes against what we think coaching is supposed to be because coaching is historically privileged assertiveness over humility. I think as an Asian, I think it's also, this is also very cultural, right? The Western world is a lot more into assertiveness than humility. And humility is, you know, traditionally can be defined as sort of like, you know, putting others before themselves or thinking little of, of yourself. But that's not how I think of humility. Humility is acknowledging that your view of the world is not everyone's view of the world. It means your knowledge of the world is not complete because you are just one person in a world of 8 billion people. And so humility means being able to discern in a context where, oh, maybe I don't know everything there is to know about this person's situation or about this context. And maybe the most powerful, useful thing I can do is to sit down, resist the urge to take charge and be at front and speak up. And maybe that's the most helpful thing I can do. Again, this is very, it's unsaid in a lot of coaching contexts. It's actually discouraged because again, in coaching, the implicit bias is always towards doing something, get up there, do something, use your voice. Once again, those can be great things, except when they're not. Where is the discernment? The third thing is that coaching privileges, historically has privileged feeling powerful over allowing the feeling of powerlessness. And if you think about it, (laughs) allowing the feeling of powerlessness feels like it goes against everything (laughs) that we stand for and talk about in coaching, except when you add a little nuance to it, I think it's the opposite. A lot of our emotional lives are in effect a flight from the feeling of powerlessness. Feeling powerless is so scary that we do anything to avoid it. And the number one thing that I think most of us feel powerless against is death. We're all going to die. And mortality scares us so much that we buffer from it using alcohol, drugs, sex, shopping, achievement, work, anything, right? And it's all of it is to escape this uncomfortable feeling of powerlessness, of helplessness over lots of things in the world that are too terrifying to face. And I think. Because we love feeling powerful and we privilege feeling powerful and we act like the goal of coaching is to feel powerful, what that leads us to is the bypassing of a lot of instances where the correct response is to feel powerless. We are powerless against death. We are powerless as individuals against a lot of fucked up shit happening. If you want to work with very large-scale, systemic, fucked-up things, the correct response is to feel powerless, not forever, but for a moment, because we are up against large, entrenched, complex issues. And powerlessness isn't like an absolute truth. It's just an experience we have when we look at things that are big for us as a single human beings. Right. And I think because people are so fucking averse to feeling powerless, I think we bypass a lot of, a lot of social issues. Like, oh, I can't do anything about it. So why even think about it? Right. That is the classic 
bypassing that happens because we're addicted to feeling powerful and we don't know how to handle ourselves when we feel powerless, right? So I'm not advocating for feeling powerlessness just so you can feel like defeated and hopeless. That's not the point. But I think part of being human is by wisely interacting with the sensation of powerlessness that we feel a lot in our lives. You know, imagine how annoying at best and actively harmful and toxic it is at worst when someone's always like, well, look on the, look on the bright side. You know, everything happens for a reason, you know, like, well, it wasn't that bad. It's like, no, it was that bad. And yes, we are, we were powerless. We are powerless against a lot of, can we just sit with that for a moment? Like that is important. That is sacred. We need there needs to be space for us to feel powerless and actually allowing the feeling of powerlessness is powerlessness is just the other side of the coin of having power. I want to repeat myself. There are times when allowing the feeling of powerlessness and allowing someone else to have that experience, allowing that experience as part of being human is the correct thing to do. And trying to be powerful in those instances is bypassing. Now, The next one is the historical bias that coaching has traditionally had on individual empowerment versus collective empowerment. And once again, hey, I am all about individual empowerment. I love individual empowerment, but it's only part of the equation. We are all part of a collective and something that happens to you could happen to me. And a system that allows certain things to happen to you is a system that allows the same thing to happen to me. And therefore, Individual empowerment cannot be complete without collective empowerment. So coaching asks us a lot. If you've been in the world of coaching for any length of time, it's all about who do you want to be? What do you want to achieve? What are your dreams that you want to make true? How do you want to change? Again, all beautiful questions, but they are incomplete if we're not also asking what change do we want to make in the world? How do we want to be? How do I take responsibility for what happens to us? Right? And when those conversations are missing, it's incomplete. It's not a fully responsible paradigm of individual empowerment if we're leaving out the collective. The last thing I want to talk about is the coaching world's historical bias towards coming out on top versus lifting up those who've been pushed to the bottom. We love the top in the coaching world. We love being number one. We love winning. We love growing you know, look at all these images, all these concepts that are about going up, going to the top, being climbing the tree, the ladder, the pyramid, right? Once again, that's a beautiful thing. But when that is at the cost of ignoring everyone else in your community who is being held down, they're not just randomly down, they are held down against their will as a result of systemic forces. If you want to go up, you have a responsibility to remove the blocks that keep other human beings down. If there are two people, one always coming out on top and the other, this is like an extreme example, but let's say one, one person, hundred percent always coming out on top and the other person always hundred percent of the time lifting up those who've been pushed to the bottom. Who do you think the coaching world has historically celebrated and highlighted? and held up as an example. Of course, the person coming out on top, the one who's achieved the success and the fame and the riches and the influence and the power, right? Because they came out on top. Once again, coming out on top is a great thing. I love it. 
And that needs to be balanced with our attention to who is being kept in the bottom. And coaching needs to change emphasis, change focus, reorient itself, re-envision itself so that we are equally paying attention to those who have a much further, much more arduous, if not impossible, climb to the top because of systemic forces that we are all participating in upholding and perpetuating. One of the reasons I've always been such a rabid fan of Melissa's work is because she makes no bones about this kind of shit. If you talk to her for three minutes, you know, and she is just so violently allergic (laughs) to any kind of rainbows and daisies bypassing bullshit. And a lot of what is so natural to her, it was really important for me to think about in a way where I can break it down and articulate it for all of us and for the rest of the coaching industry. A lot of the times when people talk about things we want to change in the coaching industry, it's like the industry is over there and all those people over there and you're just one powerless person. And it's like, like me with different ideas against them. But Hey, if you're listening to this, you are the coaching industry. Like you're, you are it. You're a part of it. We are all the coaching industry. We are all the coaching world. I hope you take that as a responsibility as well as a privilege. I hope you take that with the due sense of power that you can use to create something different for everyone else, for the community, as well as something different that we can leave to the next generation that wrestles with how to deal with these things in the context of coaching. A lot of the times, coaching is thought of as just a collection of tools. And the tools are wonderful, but tools can become weapons. Like you can use a hammer to kill someone. You can use like any useful tool. You can wound or maim or kill with the same tools. Tools are only half of coaching, maybe even less than half. The rest of it is your discernment about how to use it as a human being who is in relationship with other beings on human, on, on planet earth. And how you discern that is your decisions, your power, the way you shape what all these, this means to you. That's going to ripple out to the clients that you serve. Okay. That's all I have prepared. I'll talk to you next time.